Brenda and I get to come in town about a month, a year, sporadic. Two weeks of that was this time, so we're just delighted to be here and soak you up while we're here. And we're open to get with you, go to lunch or whatever, especially if you pay. So I want to look with you, if I can, at Revelation. And uh, we've been continuing our study with Revelation and, and uh, trying to come to grips with this phenomenal book of prophecy. Um, been finding that the book of Revelation is divided up in uh, three sections, three basic sections. You have an introduction that is given to seven churches in the province of Asia. So John is seeking to introduce to these churches the prophecy itself. So you have an introduction to the seven churches of the prophecy, and that's the three sections. We've been spending an enormous amount of time in chapter 1 and finding that he's specifically introducing four things to the seven churches. Okay? He really wants them to get a hold of four things, and we've outlined that. Uh, he introduces a, a statement about the book, which we call the prologue. He introduces the God that's interacting with them. And there's, then there's a praise section that is in response to what this God is doing. And then you have the Patmos section, which is from verse 9 down to the end of the first chapter, where he talks specifically about the call of these churches. If I were to highlight uh, this first chapter, which and this is really significant because the first chapter is the prophecy summed up in one chapter. That's really important. So if you ever have any kind of uh, reservations or fears about studying Revelation, that it's over your head or all of that kind of nonsense, uh, for the first chapter is really helpful. Because what he does is he takes the whole prophecy and he says, hey, here, here are the, here's the bulk by which everything is going to be built around. So the first chapter has been really significant. Some of the highlights of the first chapter uh, would be, number one, the partnering of God and man. Okay. Because of the relationship that's been reestablished, there's a partnering that takes place uh, between God and man. Uh, one way that you can understand the book of Revelation, I think it's extremely helpful, is to see it within the context of Scripture. Uh, when you come into the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1, you have the creation of man. And when you go back and look into chapters 1 and 2, you really begin to get a picture of God's design and purpose uh, for our life. How he created us to live. You have this this, uh, this man that's created Adam and shortly thereafter Eve, and they're in oneness and intimacy with God, walking and partnering with him. Uh, God just didn't do everything and then dump it in Adam's lap. Adam had, it had influence to that. He had opinions on that. I mean, God created the, uh, you know, the, the earth and he created the, the waters. He created the plants. He created the animals. But Adam not only maintained and took care of those, but he gave names and was inputting into some of that, the whole animal deal. Uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit sitting around uh, on some couches having pretzels. And uh, uh, Adam comes strolling by and, and uh, Jesus says, come on in here, Adam. And Adam comes in and plops down in the lazy boy, grabs a handful of pretzels. They're everywhere. And uh, uh, they get in this conversation about all the animals out there that they've got a name. They've got to do with this. And Jesus is like, oh, forgot all about that. Little God humor. And uh, uh, yeah, we got to name those. And they say, well, Adam, what do you think? And, and so they bring in one of these animals, happens to be a goat. And Adam looks at that and says, hey, I'm thinking goat. And goat was its name. And so Adam named the animals, which was much more than just giving names. It had to do with insight into that animal and, and its function and his knowing it and the calling it by name and relationship. And of course, Adam did that for himself. He named himself and he named Eve as well. So you have the partnering 
you have partnering of God with man. The problem happens is when Adam abandons that role, abandons that relationship and partnering with God and turns to his own designs, which plunges him into death and despair and ultimately would be hell if God did not intervene. The story of the book of Revelation, you got all that? The story of the book of Revelation is the restoration of that plan. God didn't dump it. God sought to redeem that. And so the book of Revelation is where man is restored to that partnering. So hear me on this. The first thing that he wants to communicate to these seven churches in their context, this is 2,000 years ago, in their context of the Roman Empire, which was, you could say, was the beginning of the last days. The last days began with the crucifixion of Jesus through the Pentecost time period, 50 days. That was the beginning of the last days. So when someone comes to you and says, we're in the last days, say, duh. Been in the last days for 2,000 years. Where you been? Okay. So in those last days time period, the beginning of the last days, okay, um, you have in their context, Jesus comes to these seven churches and says, hey, I'm doing a remarkable thing in your day. I want you to be a part of it. Partnering. See, I believe with all my heart that God wants to do a miraculous work in northern Toledo. We can include southern if you want to. And, of course, the Bedford-Lambertville area. And you're a part of that. You are God called to be a part of that. That is your context of ministry. The rest of the United States is not. That's mine. Okay? <laughs> See, your context is this area. God has called you to partner in that. That's the call. That's the message. So he's calling these seven churches to partnering. It's a major theme in the book of Revelation. That's one of the things that he really strongly introduces. Another thing, and the last couple are going to be in the Patmos section... Because the whole Patmos section, again, verses 9 down to the end of the first chapter, is John giving the details of being on the island of Patmos, where Jesus comes in this whole commission call, uh, where Jesus dumps what he wants to do, the whole letters that are going to be sent to the seven churches. He's, he's, this is where he received that, the island of Patmos. Um, in this Patmos section, he finds out that this partnering takes place within the context of the body of Christ. This is really important. There is no partnering with God. This is a really strong statement. There is no partnering with God outside of the body. One of the emphasis in the New Testament is that Christianity happens within a community, within a body of Christ, not walls. Okay? Now, we have walls because we're Americans, okay? and we like air conditioning and no, mos- no mos- uh, mosquitoes. Not spaghettos, but no mosquitoes. Okay, we like wall. Nothing wrong with buildings, but this building is not is not the temple. We, the body, are the temple. We are His dwelling place. Amen. Okay, so Christianity happens within the context of a community. So the idea that I could be a Christian without the community is is kind of a neat thought. That you know I could love Jesus without putting up with you, and you could love Jesus without putting up with me. So it's an awesome thought, but it's not a biblical one. The biblical one is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. So Christianity happens within the context of the body of Christ. Now, when you get in the book of Revelation, what you find out is that we have been called to partner with him as a body, which means you have a function and a role within this community. Some expressions of that partnering uh, take place, New Testament concept, Old Testament concept, introduced fulfilled in the new testament some ways we partner is tithe my generation the the 20 mid 20s through the mid 40s really struggle with tithe 
See, my generation gives, but they don't tithe. You understand that giving is not tithing? You understand that? So you talk to people and they say, well, oh, I, don't want it. it's, I don't want anybody to know, and it's a privacy thing. Well, baloney. Baloney. That's about as aggressive as, as I can get, really. Baloney. Okay? It's not biblical. Tithe is the first fruits of my calling into my workplace. Now, we have a corporate body, you understand, that is set out every week, and we operate as a body in our own context. And tithing is the first fruits of that. My generation does not know about tithe. They really don't. They come and give haphazardly. They come and give just off the top and in excess. And See, tithe is a commitment. It is, a, it is an accountability. It is an authority kind of a deal. And that is a partnering deal. So that's, that's thoroughly. See, that's the idea of partnering ministry. The number one, con, uh, the number one uh, uh, context in which ministry happens is in the body of Christ. Okay, under the authority of Jesus Christ, happens in the body. Tithe is an expression of that. So he talks about partnering, and partnering happens within the context of the body. Other examples of that, of course, in the New Testament, Jesus is our head, we are his arms, legs, feet, eyes, nose, mouth, and all of that is strewn without the body. Some of you are eyes, some of you are ears, some of you are mouths. Uh, there's a variety. There's a variety of that in the body, strewn throughout. We're, we're, we're called to partner with him. Make sense? We have a partnering with him, which takes place within the context of the body, the body partners. Now, when you get into the, uh, the Patmos section, especially down in verses 12 through the end of the chapter, he describes the body with ministry language. We're described as lampstands. For instance, um, one of the things that I begin to ask, and I think most Christians ask when we say, hey, I want you to partner with me. Jesus says, I want you to partner with me. You and I begin to say, okay, how? What do you want me to do? Okay? Want me to partner with you? Well, what's my role? Jesus says the role of the seven churches are the, there to be lampstands. In fact, he says that twice. It's the only thing that he says twice in the, in the, in the first chapter. He introduces the lampstands, and he doesn't want you to be confused about this. In verse 12, John says he turns around to see the voice that was speaking to him. And when he does so, I saw seven golden lampstands. And then in case you missed that, in verse 20, Jesus says to him, the mystery of the seven churches, uh, or the seven stars and the seven lampstands are these, the seven churches are the seven lampstands. So we are to partner with him as a lampstand. And you're saying, well, what's that all about? See, you and I are to be a lampstand in our community. Now, all of this is Old Testament imagery that is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Okay, it's Old Testament imagery that is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. If you go back in the Old Testament, you learn about lampstands, you find out that they were placed in the tabernacle. Okay, one of the places. They were placed in the tabernacle and that the lampstands represented Israel as they always stood before God. Okay? Now, when you begin to look at the functionality of a lampstand, a lampstand had one purpose. This is neat. A lampstand had one purpose. It was to hold up a lamp. In the book of Revelation, guess who is the lamp? Jesus. So our partnering with him is holding up the lampstand. That's it. That's all you have to do. If you can do this, right or left hand, we don't really care. If you can do this, you can partner. You're saying, hold on, my role then in the body of Christ, let's pick an area in the extracurricular activities of my life, my son's softball game or my, my daughter's softball game, my son's baseball game, is to go there and absolutely. That is your call. 
You say, well, I don't understand what that might look like. I lift weights. I try. There are a couple different uh, ministry, well, I wouldn't call them ministry. There are a couple different ways I could walk and live in the, in, in the gym. One of the ways that I see people walking around the gym, very common, especially for guys, it is the, uh, it's not this, but it's walking around the gym. <laughs> Jeremiah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's that kind of, you know, you know what time it is? Yeah, hold on. You know, kind of, see, that's, you see that in the gym. You know what I'm talking about? You really do. See, it's the guy that's just, he oozes that. I don't want to ooze that. I don't want to ooze that. Well, what do you want to ooze? That's what I want to ooze. See, I want to walk in there and partner with him. Well, what do you do? Just, that's it. See, on the, in the rush hour traffic on the way to work in the morning. See, what are people oozing? I don't have a job. You're there every week. So you know what that's like, going to work. Just, see, what if you just ooze something altogether different? See, that's the ministry of the seven churches. You'd say, are you serious? Absolutely. He looks at us with ministry, uh, ministry eyes, a ministry perspective. And what's really significant is he comes, and I'll give you this as a bonus material, uh, he comes to the church in Ephesus. He really gets hard on them. We're going to mention this again in a minute, I think. But um, he comes to the church at Ephesus. They have forsaken their first love. And what have they forsaken? Now, it's interesting. They're still in ministry. They're still doing things. I mean, they're still the biggest church in the province of Asia. They're still the mother church of all the other sister churches. I mean, they, are, uh, they have deeds. They have hard work. They have perseverance. Uh, they don't tolerate wicked men. They, they're, they're in the process of testing and approving false uh, apostles and false prophets. I mean, they're, they're just resilient in, in, in enduring hardship and all of these kinds. So they still have an active, functioning ministry, but they've forsaken their first love, which is what? And Jesus comes to them and says, repent. If you don't repent, he says, this is so neat. He says, I'm going to come and remove your lampstand. And, of course, my first response was, oh, he's going to come and tear down their building. That's not what he says. See, you can still meet on Sunday. You can still gather money. You can still sing songs. You can still have your angel food ministry. You can still have all the things you do, but I'm not going to be there. That's what Jesus says. See, you, if you're not going to, see, they've forsaken this. So there's a very clear biblical understanding between religious institution and body of Christ. See, our function is the body. In other words, when anyone walks in off the streets in here, they walk out here and say, what are they about? Jesus. In fact, they got sick of hearing about it. Good night. That's all they talk about. I mean, Jesus is what they're pushing. They're Jesus pushers. It's one of the terms we're playing with. Jesus pusher. I thought you'd like that, but whatever. So, uh, so hey, the idea that some things that he's introducing here in the book of Revelation, okay, that some things that he's introducing is that, one, we are called to partner with God. That partnering happens within the body of Christ. The body of Christ is to be a lampstand, okay? They're commissioned as a lampstand. And the idea of a lampstand of holding up Jesus obviously uh, precludes the idea that we are intimate with Jesus. We're walking in oneness and intimacy and fellowship with him. Okay? This, is all, this is all introduced within the first chapter. The first chapter ends with this commissioning by John where uh, 
or, or excuse me, commissioning to the seven churches that Jesus gives, and he presents that to John to give to them. So there's this great commissioning. And then you have the seven, uh, you have the seven churches that are addressed and that are spoken to by Jesus. I want you to turn into chapters 2 and 3. There's kind of a layout to all seven churches, okay? When Jesus addresses those, if you have the red letter edition, you're going to note that the uh, chapters 2 and 3 are all in the red letters. Jesus is the one that is speaking this. Jesus is the one that's addressing this. He's given this to John. John is communicating this. So this is the, the specific dress. And what that means is this is how each particular church, each community is going to minister in their context. Okay? Each, the, uh, the outline for each address to each church is the same. The first thing that happens at the outset of the address to each church is Jesus is presented. Okay? To the church in Ephesus, Jesus is presented as holding seven stars in his right hand, and he's presented as the one who's continually walking among the seven golden lampstands. So Jesus is presented to the church. He does that to each and every church. Okay? So the first aspect of the address is Jesus comes and presents himself. And you would say, well, I know there's an introduction, but why so elaborate and figurative of an address or of an introduction? Why does he present them himself that way? Well, it's interesting. The way that he presents himself, and you can see this when you begin to walk through these, the way that he presents himself shows that he is the answer for whatever they're going through. So you have the introduction, which is Jesus. The middle part to each church is their context of ministry. Okay? He talks about where they're at, what's going on, what's taking place. Uh, to the church at Ephesus, their context of ministry, first and foremost, is they've dropped the, uh, the call to hold him up. To the church in uh, Smyrna, you have fierce persecution taking place. So each, each middle section of the seven churches is their context of ministry. You have a context of ministry, both corporately and then how you, you are sent out individually as extensions of that corporate body. You all have context of ministry. Uh, some of you are teachers, which is an awesome context. It's an awesome context of ministry. Uh, I know you have a couple electricians in here, okay? Um, your various context of, of ministry is where you're going to minister. What Jesus does in these, in these addresses, he shows that he is the answer for their context. See, whatever you're going through, whatever situation you're in, wherever God places you, he is enough. He literally just wants you to walk out into your world and hold him up. Just stand wherever you're at. One, one of the thing, one of the critiques that I've been giving, probably not worthy to do that, but one of the critiques that I've been giving to the church in terms of evangelism is the church, we, you make it, not you, but you make it so hard. <laughs> we go to churches where they talk about winning their community. And they just, it's, it's almost comical to me. I just said, I don't laugh at them. <laughs> but I just, it's amazing to me. How can we minister our community? And they, they make it so difficult and they come up with these crazy ideas. I know, let's pass out batteries. For their smoke detectors, that'll get them in right there. Yep, batteries. I'm just sitting around. It's not bad. It's not bad to pass out batteries. Let's, I know, let's, uh, let's go and mow lawns. That'll do it right there. I'm telling you, mowing a lawn, that'll, that, they'll come flocking to our doors. That's, that's not bad, but that's, it's much easier than that. Just wherever he has you in your world, in your context, just hold him up. 
See, I believe witnessing, I believe ministry is just standing in the middle of your world and falling desperately in love with Jesus. It's not being, for the longest time, I, I, was, a very, I was very self-critical of, of uh, not being funny and, and being serious and, and changing, and I just finally dumped all that because I couldn't do it. <laughs> See, just, what if it wasn't the exclusion of Jesus and trying to find out the right way, just if it was the inclusion of Jesus into everything that I do, just whatever context I find myself, just raise him up. That's, that's ministry. By the way, that's how I was one to the Lord. That's how I was saved. I had about four or five guys on surfboards going like this. And God got a hold of my life. So Jesus presents himself to these seven churches at the outset of each address. He talks about their context, and he says, in that context, hold me up. I'm the answer. In fact, he tells them, this is how I'm the answer. To Ephesus, I'm the one who holds the seven stars in my right hand. I'm continually among the seven golden lampstands. Hold me up. Hold me up. See, I'm the answer for your, for your context of ministry. I'm the answer for your situation. Okay? Now, he ends each address. And I want to talk to you about this briefly. Okay? And I do mean brief. This is, a, this is an easy one. At the end of each, each address, there is this, I, I want to say it's a result but it's not a result, it's a condition. Jesus presents the answer, which is himself, and he is tailored to each context, which is so neat. Probably should say one more thing about that. See, when we come into church on Sunday morning, he is adequate for each and every one of us and speaks directly to our situation. One of the things that I found interesting about, about witnessing, I've won a handful of people to the Lord in my life outside of preaching just one-on-one. And what I found is it takes forever. <laughs> it just takes forever, you know, um, which is why God sends you out into your community. If you just focus on one person a year, does God put someone in your path and say, at the end of the, I'm going to love that guy for a year. I'm going to show up at his hospital. I'm going to show up at his house. I mean, I'm going to invite him to to the events that we get together, you know, and, and what we're doing and outside of church and deer hunting, whatever, whatever you do here in Michigan. I mean, I'm just, I, I'm, I'm going to love that guy for a year and just stand in the midst of him. Just, if he turns his head this way, I just, you know. I'm, hey, that, I'm told for one year, man, I'm going to push Jesus all over this guy. He becomes a Christian. What I found is interesting. It takes some time that you have to earn the right to do that. You have to, you have to, I mean, there's, there's relationship building, but Specifically, when the body comes together, this is so neat. There is, you understand there's something that happens when we all get together that doesn't happen anywhere else? I have sat in services like this, and I've had people that come that not only sometimes don't even know me, some people come in and don't like me. I know that's hard to believe, but there's people that, that come in and say, I don't like this guy. Why? Who got him in here? And Is he back again? And that kind of stuff. And yet the Holy Spirit will speak in a way where he goes, he goes through every cultural boundary, he goes through every personality boundary, and he just, he just speaks directly to their situation. It's, it's remarkable. See, he comes to the seven churches and he says, I am adequate for your context. This is who I am, and this is what I want to do in your context of ministry. This is what I want to do in your context of life. Now, the bottom section of that is the condition. If you respond to me, if you stand in your context and hold me up, this is the result of that, which is so neat because it's all about overcoming. It's all about victory. 
It's all about me bringing about what I want to bring about. And there's, there's details. This is kind of an introduction and an overview. There are specific details. In other words, Jesus has a specific result in, in his plan for each context. It's kind of neat. And we've heard this talked about in church. That you've heard the expressions that some people water, some people cultivate. You know, you may witness to someone forever and never see them come to the Lord. That kind of, uh, that kind of however crude it is, that kind of illustration. This, he has a specific result for each context of ministry. But the overall, the overall view of what he's doing, he presents himself to their context. If they respond to that, there is a victorious conclusion. Okay? God wants to bring something about that is significant and overwhelming, and you get to be a part of that. Now, it's conditional. It's not a result. It's conditional because you and I have a specific role. I found this really neat. This is what I want to talk to you about this morning. There is a specific posture that the body of Christ has to maintain in their ministry in order for them to be used. You have to have this posture. Okay, not my idea. You have to have this posture or you cannot be used. In other words, as you say the specifics on, and holding him up to my world, you mean there's a posture to that? Absolutely. How he explains this posture, before we go into the detail of posture language, at the end of each church, he says, verse 7 of chapter 2 is an example of this. In fact, I think I gave that to you, Jeff. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That's posture language. Now, don't, don't be deceived. This is not physical. See, there's two ways to look at that. There's the physical ear and there's the spiritual ear. I want to propose to you, and I'm going to prove this in a second. But he's not talking about physical. In fact, most of what's going on in the book of Revelation is not physical. It's spiritual. And I have no problem. We've ta- I've been here so many times. You've heard me talk about this for years. That what we do here on Sunday morning, by and large, is not physical. It's spiritual. There's a very real difference between the physical and the spiritual in what we do. Uh, you've heard me talk about how you can come to church on Sunday without coming to church on Sunday. That coming to church on Sunday is not physically showing up. You can physically show up to church on Sunday and not show up to church on Sunday. Spiritual. You can come and physically sing and not participate in worship. See, there's a difference. And we're not talking about just physical activities kind of stuff. Christianity is not a sum total of the physical activities. Christianity is a partnering and, and an involvement with our creator in the, in the context of the body of Christ in which he's placed us. That's Christianity. Okay? So what he's talking about here is not just he who has an ear. Hold on. <laughs> I got one. Or I was in a horrible car wreck. I don't have any ears. I'm out. Okay? That's not what he's talking about. Not talking about physical ear. He's talking about a spiritual, spiritual ear. This is his posture language. Now, again... He writes different than you and I talk. And that's easy to explain. In fact, one of the constant critiques I hear in, in studying Revelation from just church people, from us church people, is that the language that he uses, we, it's hard to understand. Well, you obviously know this letter was written 2,000 years ago. When I'm traveling around churches, one of the things that I see within the own church community itself, not even going outside your walls, you have trouble communicating. I can't, every church, even ours, you look at the older generation and how they look at the younger generation. And I've watched them. 
the teens are talking about this, and you ask the adults, what are they talking about? I don't know. They can't even pull their pants up. Good night. I don't know. <laughs> they don't understand, you know? Okay? You have, and just in our own, I mean, I could go into detail, you know, about some of you in here, how vastly, I mean, just, hey, we have trouble with that. You understand, this is in our own context. And, by the way, you're in Michigan, okay? You're in Michigan. You go to California, it's like a whole other world. It's a whole other world out there. They talk different. They act different. In fact, we're six months behind them, is what they tell us, Okay? Now, we're coming into a document that's 2,000 years old. He uses language that you and I don't use. So it's, there's no wonder that it's difficult. But his language here is posture language. You'd say, what do you mean by posture? We are a Wesleyan-influenced, heavily-influenced body of Christ. In other words, Wesley had some thoughts that all of us sit around and go, wow, that's fantastic. I believe that with all my heart. We talk about Wesleyan holiness or American holiness. We're a holiness people, which is God is holy. We are the vessels which that holiness is, is distributed to our world and seen in our world. He sources us. He reveals himself through us. It's not my talent and ability. It's who he is. We could go on and on about that. There is a posture that's, that's spoken about. Uh, specifically, I like the way John Wesley talked about it. Posture language. See, John Wesley talks about God working and moving in your life moment you were born, he's got a plan for you, he's reaching out for you. He blink, brings you to a place, this is his language a couple hundred years ago, he blink, brings you to a place that he calls initial sanctification. We believe in that, by the way. And what we believe is at that point, I stop sinning. In other words, hey, he's going to become king of my life and lord of my life. He comes down and lives in the context of my body, and I no longer look at him and say, get out of here. I no longer look at him and say, butt out of this situation. I no longer look at him and say, hey, I got my own plan. See, he has literally done something into me, and he said, hey, where Adam was, the way I created him, I want to restore you to that. This is the initial step in that. This is the initial step in that. I want to be Lord. I want to lead you and guide you, and I want to express myself through you. In fact, I want you to feel that expression on the inside of your body. Never say no to me again. Stop sinning. Initial sanctification. See, we believe that he's literally, you begin to grow, and a direct result of that growing, whether you emphasize it or not, is that Wesley talked about a deeper work that's done. In fact, that deeper work is literally the inside twisting of what took place in Adam, Jesus untwists, which we begin to see the way he sees and feel the way he feels. And there's this, people talk about it as this bent on the inside of their body that is straightened out again, and we're hunger and just, wow, and we salivate. We come into church on Sunday morning, and we have this posture where we're sitting on the edge of our seat and saying, wow, speak to me, Jesus. See, that's posture language. It's interesting to me that when John Wesley talks about growth in the life of a believer, he talks about growth in grace. That's the technical term. That begins that entire sanctification. What a, I've heard a lot of times in our denominations that there's this save, sanctified language or this salvation language. You want to put the two together, whatever. The, a lot of people don't grow after that. Primarily, it's, I hear it a lot from you, those of you who are the elders and the older generation. It's, it's, oftentimes, you're the ones that's difficult uh, to talk to about continual response and growth. Because there's this idea that I gave my life to Jesus, I'm saved, I belong to him, and uh, there's no sin in my life, therefore why would I ever come down to an altar again? And that kind of language, the way John Wesley talked about it, is you don't even start to grow until that inside thing is taken care of. 
And you say, well, how do you grow if sin is out of your life? We're not talking about sin. Sin starts the moment, stops the moment Jesus comes and lives in my life. I'm talking about growth. We talk about that in terms of mistakes. <laughs> I'm filled with them. You want to call them fleshly patterns? I don't care. I can give you a practical example of this, and I've given this a hundred times. It's where um, my wife and I, we will uh, get into an argument about something that I'm right about, and uh, we'll, be in this, we'll be in this detailed argument. And in that argument, I do not look at Jesus and say, hey, butt out of this. I'm talking to this woman however I want to talk to her. I don't do that. That's sin. I don't do that. But there are times in that argument where after the argument, Jesus will come up to me and go, dude, what were you thinking? And I'm like, I don't know. Too much Red Bull, I guess. I can't, I don't know. I was just you know, emotional and I was tired. Whatever. I'm just, hey. I wouldn't talk to my wife that way, man. That's severely inappropriate. You need to go back and apologize. Did I sin? No. Did I make a bonehead mistake? Yes. And I do. I go back and I respond because I'm in intimacy and oneness with him. And I go back to her and say, I'm sorry. I was wrong. Not about what he's arguing about. I was right about that. But I was wrong about <laughs> literally about the whole manner in which I went about it. I apologize about that. See, that's mistake language. Folks, you're never going to get rid of that. You're never going to get rid of that. That happens at ultimate sanctification, which is where you die. <laughs> Once you're dead, you can't make any more mistakes. That's, po- that's Wesley's posture language. See, when he says to him who has an ear, let him hear, he's not talking about physical, he's talking about a spiritual posture. It's a spiritual posture. Now listen, again, if you want to be used by Jesus, you've got to have this spiritual posture. Absolutely necessary. Because he says, to him who has an ear, let him hear. This is what I want to accomplish through you. This is who I am. It's, I'm the answer for your context. Are you going to have the spiritual posture which is going to unleash me into your world? Are you going to have that spiritual posture? Let me give you an example of the to him who has an ear, let him hear. That's the language of his day. Turn back with me, and we're going to have it on the screen too, to John chapter 1. What I found is when you look up the term hear, to him who has an ear, let him hear. There are two ways that Greek word, akuo, is used in our New Testament. It's used to talk about a physical hearing, and it's used to talk about a spiritual hearing. There's a physical ear that physically hears, and there's a spiritual ear that spiritually hears. Pretty easy to buy, isn't it? John chapter 1, verse 7. No, that's not it. Excuse me. John chapter 1, what what was it again, Jeff? 35. Uh, context is, is John the Baptist is out in his ministry. Jesus is in the area. He's walking by. John sees him and uh, says, behold the Lamb of God. It says, the next day John was there again with his two disciples. Verse 36. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, behold the Lamb of God. Verse 37. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Physical hearing. Why did they follow Jesus? Behold the Lamb of God. Dude, we're out of here. Let's go. Physical ear that physically hears. That's one way that Greek word is used in our New Testament. Flip over a few chapters to John chapter 8. And we're going to begin looking at the context, which is in verse... Oh, where we'll look at, I guess, is going to be around verse 39. But 
back in verse 31. You can pull up verse 39, Jeff. In verse 31, he begins, he's in this conversation with the Jewish leaders of Israel, which is really intense. And the whole argument is uh, that Jesus, uh, his father is the devil, is what they're saying, basically. He's always talking about his father. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You, here, get this. He says, you listen to your father, and I listen to my father. You have an ear for your father. I have an ear for my father. So you listen and respond to the leading and guiding and desires of your father. So your posture fits that. And I have a posture where I follow the leading and guiding and promptings, and I hear the voice of my father. Just like you and I, my sheep hear my voice. See, if you belong to him, you have this posture. That's just all there is to it. So you can't say I'm a Christian but not have his posture. That's the whole you'll know the the, the tree by its fruit. So you can't walk around and say, that's right, that's what I'm talking about. I'm an apple tree. And you're like, dude, you got bananas all over you. No, no, I'm an apple tree. (laughs) Banana. Okay. I mean, hello, man. You have to have the posture. So he's talking to this group about this. Well, they come down, it gets really hot and heavy and heated. And in verse nine, 39, they refute what he's saying. They say, Abraham is our father. If you, and Jesus says, if you were Abraham's children, you do the things Abraham did. As you are determined to kill me, as it is, you are determined to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You don't have the posture that Abraham had. See, you're not a spitting image of your dad. Verse 41, he says, you're doing the things that your father does. And they say, we are not illegitimate children, which basically they reduce to name calling, okay, at this point. And then in verse 42, Jesus says, if God were your father, you'd love me. For I came from God and now I'm here. I've not come on my own, but he sent me. Listen to this. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You can't hear me. You can't hear me, man. You're unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. And he goes on to describe him. See, you have an ear for your father, the devil. Which tells you, you can have an ear to the enemy. Or you can have an ear to Jesus. By the way, folks, there's only one of two. It's not like, well, I may not have an ear for Jesus, but I don't have an ear for the enemy. Sorry. There's only one of two choices. The last days were separated in sheep, sheep and goats. Okay? Sheep belong to Jesus. Goats belong to the enemy. Only two. There's not like wildebeest in the corner somewhere. There's just two. Okay? He says, you have an ear for your father, and you carry his posture and his desire. Okay, those who belong to him, and he builds this conversation, especially after the blind man issue with the, the sheep and his flock. They pick this up. He just he won't get off of this. You have to have the posture, an ear to hear. And you'd say, well, what's the posture? See, the posture is let him who has an ear, uh, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It's is, is the person that is, that is longing. He's, he's listening. He's contrite. He's, he's open. See, that's his posture, that Jesus comes and speaks in my context of ministry, and my response is, is that I'm vulnerable. And it's the posture that says, hey, I, I want to be, be ministered to. I want to be shaped. I'm wide open to be corrected on this. I don't have to be right. That I stand in the middle of my world and say, what's your desire on this? And I never, ever, ever deviate from that posture. So what would that look like on a Sunday morning? 
See, Sunday morning you have people that come into church on Sunday. There's two ways to come in. They're sitting there listening to Pastor Vince preach. One person, not bad, says, Oh, honey, are you listening to this? I know you need to hear this. That's one way. I can't tell you how many services I've been in where someone walks out, oh, my, my son needs to hear that. Tell you what, well, she was here, sinner. <laughs> and I understand that. But I've also seen, <laughs> I'm not kidding, I was in Oregon, and this little 80-some-year-old lady, I mean, dude, she's 80-some. She's walking out of service, she's the last one to leave the altar, she's been bawling. I come up, I'm shaking her hand, she's all bent over. She takes my hand and pats it. She goes, thank you. I grew today. I'm like, you're 80. (laughs) You're 80. How can you grow when you're 80? She had the posture. She had the posture. It's this attitude that when I come in on church on Sunday morning, it's how do you want to speak to me? What would it be like to have an entire body of believers that come in on Sunday morning and say, oh, do something brand new? just wow us we are wide open and available take the cookie cutter of the way we've always been and scrap that dude what do you want to do we're wide open where do i not look like i should look what what area of my life is, is where am i a blockade within the body where do i not look like him that's that's the posture that's the posture That Jesus says, oh, there's miraculous things that I want to do in your context. It's amazing to me that the the seven churches, uh, see, you get the idea that the book of Revelation is written to seven churches. It's like, hold on, I'm coming soon. No, it's not. No, it's not. Hide in a cave. (laughs) No, it's not. It's partner with me. I'm going to do something remarkable in your day. Maintain the posture. Hold on. I'm going to do something fantastic. That's what I want to hear. See, that's what I want to be a part of. I want to be a part of a body that comes together on Sunday morning and the pastor stands up and says, hey, the kingdom of God is forcefully, you've never heard this before, but the kingdom of God is forcefully advancing. And some kind of men lay hold to it. What was it again? Yeah, I've only heard it like two or three times. I'm never here. But just grab a hold of that dude, man. Where do you want me? I just want to ask you this morning. Do you have that? Hey, hang out with me. I'm, I'm a ball of nerves, uh, which has nothing to do with Red Bull. But, uh, you know, I do, I do. I don't say the right things oftentimes. I mean, I'm not the perfect guy in the world. I make mistakes. My, I'm emotional. Uh, I just, hey, I'm a human being. I love Jesus with all my heart. And I want to be used by him in whatever context that he puts me. And in these days, I'm not, I'm not sure what that context looks like. For the longest time, I thought I, thought I knew what it looked like. But now it just, it just seems like he's, he's, he's breaking out of my box. Makes you kind of wonder about your job change. Makes you kind of wonder about the routines of your life. See, where, where does he want to use you? And are you maintaining that posture? Are you wide open? Are you with me? Are you wide open? Are you available? We're going to have some time of worship and seeking this morning, and I want to give you an opportunity to respond. And uh, I want to give you an opportunity just to be vulnerable. And stand there and say, hey, Jesus, it's not about my wife. It's not about me. Where do I not look like you this morning?
where am I impeding? Wouldn't it be terrible to be a blockade in your family? That somehow be that you hindered his moving in the life of your kids and your wife because you didn't have the posture? You'd say, is that serious? He calls to Smyrna and says, I want to I minister with you in your community. Hold me up. The only way they're going to see me is if you hold me up. And if you lose the posture, you're not holding me up. See, my context is to hold up, my, hold up Jesus in my home. I'm the head of my household spiritually. And if I don't hold him up, we love you this morning, Jesus. And uh, you know my heart and how much I love to be a part of this group. I just, man, we love our pastor and the people in the area. And I'm constantly finding new people in the area at all kinds of venues uh, that are associated with this church. And I just, I feel so lucky uh, to be a part of this group. Would you stretch us this morning? Would you unveil maybe, maybe sin? Maybe sin this morning you need to just address us on. Get aggressive. Maybe it's a mistake. Maybe it's just a pattern in our life, the way we've always treated our wife, the way we've always treated our kids, the way I've always treated my husband, whatever. Maybe it's the attitude that I always maintain on the way to work. I just, however little, however small, you be the judge. It's all going to begin by each and every one of us standing up this morning and say, God, I'm an open book. Speak to me. I love you with all my heart. Where do I not look like you? Where do you need to shape me? I want to hold you up to my world, Jesus. And I'm going to begin by just being vulnerable. I have an ear, Jesus. I'm listening. Speak to me. Forgive me every time I've shut you down. Forgive me every time I've come to church and it hasn't been about what you want to do in my life. It's just been kind of the thing we've done. Forgive me of that. I pray that you would bend us as a, as a, as a group, as a church. I pray that you would anoint Vince just from, with power upon high that you would prepare him and prepare the people and this would be a dynamic movement in these days in which we live. Could it be like the days in which the seven churches existed, that you have a plan, that the kingdom of God is moving forward and we want to live with a kingdom perspective, vulnerable, with an ear to hear where you're going and what you're doing. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed and no one's looking around. I want to give you an opportunity to respond this morning. Where do you not look like him? And maybe, you, maybe you're, hey, maybe you're fine, but maybe it's been a while since you've been stretched. Some of the language that I've heard uh, some of my elders talk about is that they feel a little dry. They just haven't been stretched in a while. They haven't heard his voice afresh and anew in a while. When's the last time you've got on your knees before him, just on your face, and said, Jesus, man, where do I not look like you? Have I, have I drifted at all? If I spiritually drifted, one of the passages we're getting to, into in the book of uh, uh, Revelation chapter 2, the church at Ephesus, we're, we're entitling that address, Spiritual Drift. They're the oldest and seasoned church on their zone, district. They're not the church that's going to be convicted of apostasy, but they spiritually drift. It's the person that comes to church for over 30 and 40 years. They'll probably never renounce Christ. But they're very, very open to spiritually drifting from Him. Intensity, vulnerability, excitement, enthusiasm, freshness, newness, and even into deadness. 
So I want to give you an opportunity to respond this morning. Maybe he's dealing with you. And of course, we love our pastor and he's going to come and he's going to close us when he feels time is ready. Going to give us a closing prayer. We're going to have some worship. Um, altars are open if you would like to respond. In our context, that's what we do. We get in, we get in, not really super spiritual about it, but our context is we gather before an altar. We become vulnerable and we seek. So altars are open if you'd like to participate in that. Jesus, I want to seek you this morning. I love you. Thank you for the truth of your word. And you're the one we're seeking. You're the one we're lifting up. You're the one we're singing about. You're the one we're praying to this morning. Have your way. I give you all the praise.